In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance in this first half tonight. The doctor operates here. Well, he has trouble with the spin, and the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State's Jalen Watts Jackson, and he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hey, it was me. is now in. Glad to have you with us here on this Manic Monday. Is it a Manic Monday or is it a Magnificent Monday? I guess it depends on who you're rooting for and which perspective you're looking at here. From a Raiders perspective, I definitely say it's a Manic Monday. No question about it. The Raiders lose to the Tennessee Titans yesterday, 24-22. Both teams came into this game winless. Both teams needed a victory badly. But what happened? Tennessee Titans led wire to wire. Won the game for many reasons that we will discuss here today. Glad to have you with us here. T.C. Martin Show on a Monday. Mm, Lot to do. Lot to cover here. NFL-wise and looking forward to it. Yes, today we are... Talk about week number three of the National Football League. We will talk with our good friend Matthew Holt from U.S. Integrity. He will join us next hour, as will Chuck Esposito over at Red Rock Station Casinos. Still trying to digest my deliciousness of my meals over the weekend, which Numchuck is giving me the, the head nod again, the head shake. What? I invited you. I actually invited you, didn't I? So don't don't sit there. I'm waiting for this. No, okay. no, you did. I did. See? And as you know, as you should know, I like to take care of the people that I work with and put out the olive branch and say, hey, come enjoy some food. Come enjoy a good time. Let's watch a little football. And let's go to the fantastic Superbook. But I was watching football. I know. You, and don't say you were working. Because you don't, you need a day off. You can't work seven days a week. All right? So if upper management is saying, you got to work seven days a week, I don't know what you got to do, my friend. You got to clone another nunchuck. That's what you got to do. There's no cloning the nunchuck. <laughs> That'd be a good thing. We don't need reproduction of you either. That'd be a little bit scary too. But anyway, yeah, so good food weekend. With the Raiders being out of town, UNLV out of town, it was nice to just, okay, lock in, watch everything, uh, hang out at the Westgate. Great show on Friday. If you were there or listen, Showtime Sean Porter in the house. Great stuff there. That's up on the website, tcmartinshow.com. So I decided I wanted to take in you know, the ambience of hanging at the Westgate Doing the VIP pod on Saturday night. Great stuff. Great food. Thanks to our good friends at the Westgate. Jay Cornegay, John Murray, uh, Chris O'Brien, everybody over there. Fantastic uh, setting there. Watching college football on Saturday. And, of course, Sunday. We know how good Sunday is as well, too, over there. Not only just in the Superbook, the world-famous Superbook, but also over there at Football Central in the theater as well, too fantastic with the 4K video wall and the food options and everything uh, great there. But uh, if you have a chance, 
to get over to the Westgate and do the VIP pod, do it. Well worth it. Uh, the food, the beverage, the comfortable couches, great seating, smack dab in the middle of all the games. And especially, you know, when you're talking about this time of year, you've got meaningful baseball going on. Of course, you have college football on Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and then, of course, the NFL on Sunday, Monday, and Thursdays as well, too. So just a a great experience, and thank our good friends over at the Westgate for just uh, taking care of business the way they do. The hospitality, the food servers, cocktail servers, uh, fantastic as well, too. So get on over there and uh, come see the show on Fridays, our new Friday home. But uh, any day of the week is fantastic. And the best part, Chuck, I know why you didn't come. I know why you didn't come on Friday night. Because the Westgate is a non-smoking book. It's the only non-smoking sports book in the world. The, the super book in the non-smoking, fantastic over there. It's great. All right. Raiders and Titans. We talked about how important this game was leading up to this game last week. Not a surprise here. I talked about it last week. People are saying that the game was more important to the Raiders because of the division they're in with Kansas City and Denver and the Chargers and the Raiders can't afford to lose. And what I say? Tell Mike Vrabel that because he feels the same way. Not a surprise that the Tennessee Titans got this victory considering they're at home, considering how they played in week one. Remember, the Tennessee Titans were the number one seed in last year's AFC playoffs. So... In their games this year, they blew the home opener against the Giants. Giants went for two, got the victory, bad taste left in their mouth. They wanted to get that game because they knew they were going to have a tough one in week two, and they went to Buffalo on Monday Night Football and got obliterated by the Bills. So now they're back at home. They knew they had to have the victory, and the bottom line is they were the better team than the Raiders. Tennessee never trailed in this game. They went wire to wire. And the reason why I thought the Raiders would be in trouble in this game, because of matchups. Derrick Henry, 85 yards rushing, 58 yards receiving, a total of 143 for Derrick Henry, a monster. And they made sure that the ball was going to be in Derrick Henry's hands from the get-go. First Tennessee drive, the Titans get the ball, opening kickoff, Derrick Henry touches it six times of their 12 plays. Six times first 12 plays. That's what you do when you have a beast like Derrick Henry. They went on to lead 7-0. Then you look at it from the offensive perspective, from the Raiders. Derrick Carr had a decent game numbers-wise, but that's where it stops. 26 for 44, 303 yards. He made some mistakes. None bigger than being picked off in the end zone with 9.22 left in the game with the Raiders trailing 24-16. to They had an opportunity to cut to within one and probably go for two in an attempt to tie. Ball thrown for an interception in the end zone by Derek Carr. All right? That was a big opportunity there. But the Raiders had other opportunities. Darren Waller dropping footballs. Raiders came back, though. After that, trailing by that same score, 24-16, they converted 4th and 15, 4th and 10. Carr hit Matt Collins 
for a nine-yard touchdown, and then it came down to a two-point conversion. Two-point conversion usually happens successfully less than 20% of the time. And again, this one didn't get converted. Raiders couldn't get it done. A lot of people are going to talk about that play and coming down to that. But should it have come down to that? No. Not with some Derek Carr errant passes. He missed on 18 passes. All right? There were some drops in there. There were some underthrows. There were some overthrows. And the Tennessee Titans defense gave Carr and the Raiders fits. So the bright spots for the Raiders, Mac Hollins, eight catches, 158 yards, 396 yards for the Raiders. They actually outgained the Tennessee Titans 396 to 361. And that's nice. But here's the reality. The reality is the Raiders are 0-3. Losses to the Chargers, which when the schedule came out, you said, okay, Games in L.A. at SoFi Stadium. Raider fans are probably going to outnumber Charger fans there. And they did. And it didn't matter because Justin Herbert was better than Derek Carr in the opener 0-1. Then you come back home and you have your home opener against the Arizona Cardinals, which came in here with a cloud of controversy. They were horrendous in their opener. Kyler Murray signs a huge contract, but things aren't feeling good, looking good in Arizona, and the Raiders jump out to a 20 nothing lead, and then they fall apart in the second half. Fall apart in their home opener, and no excuse there, and they lose that game in overtime, and now you're 0-2, and now you're definitely in a must-win situation going to Tennessee, which isn't an easy place to play. Remember, Tennessee was the number one seed last year in the AFC playoffs. Number one seed. They're 0-2. Just as hungry as the Raiders. This wasn't going to be easy. And personally, like I talked about last week, I thought this was a good matchup for the Titans. I thought the wrong team was favored in this game. As it turned out, Tennessee won by two. They were getting two. The Raiders were a two-point favorite in this game. And actually, that game didn't even feel as close as the final score indicated because, like I said, Tennessee jumped out to the lead and the Raiders were in catch-up mode all the time. But this is what we see with the Raiders. We see the Raiders coming back, having to be life or death down the the stretch, having to try to force overtime or win games like we saw last year numerous times on the final possession or the final couple possessions, or they end up losing down the stretch. And we know they had a horrendous season last year when it came to everything that happened with Gruden and then Rich Passaccia had to come in there, play interim head coach, everything else that happened with Henry Ruggs. And we've talked about that time and time again. So this year you feel, okay, this is going to be a new regime. It's a new time. On paper, the Raiders look really good. You get Devontae Adams, arguably the best wide receiver in the game. And what did we talk about last week? Devontae Adams, upset. Devontae Adams, we played you the clips from his pressers last week. He's not used to losing. Devontae Adams didn't come to sign up to be with the Las Vegas Raiders just because he wanted to see his old buddy Derek Carr on a daily basis. No, he came here for two reasons. We talked about it before. 
He came because he felt like, okay, the Packers are on the downslide a little bit. But as we talked about last week and as we saw on Sunday, Packers aren't that far of a downslide. Picked them to win yesterday. They did win. We'll get to that game a little bit later. But were there some issues with him and Aaron Rodgers? Yes. Were there some issues with Devontae Adams and the coaching staff in the front office? Yes. Good time for Devontae Adams to get back to the West Coast, be closer to family, play with Derek Carr, and what he believed is an up-and-coming organization with the Raiders. Now going into their third year in Las Vegas, Mark Davis willing to spend money, seeing Raider Nation come into Allegiant Stadium. He felt this is a good opportunity. Let's do this. Let me finish my career on the West Coast and be a Raider. Devonta Adams is saying right now, now I see why this franchise has had problems winning over the last two decades. Because the reality is, the Raiders are still the Raiders. Still self-inflicting wounds here. Now, problems are plenty. You want to throw the blame game out there? I'm not much into the blame game. It's Josh McDaniel's fault. Okay, you have people that will say, well, coaches coach, players play. Okay, believe me. Everyone is held accountable and should be held accountable for this. You had injuries galore the first two weeks of the season. You look at the Raiders injury report for this week, and you don't have Hunter Renfro. You don't have Denzel Perryman. I mean, two key cogs on each side of the ball. Why do we have these injuries? Why are the Ra- Raiders one of the very few teams that have more than a dozen players injured going into week number three? Well, you could point to not playing in the preseason. That is a real deal. That is definitely a real thing. We talk about quarterbacks not playing in the preseason. What happened with those teams whose quarterbacks did not play a snap in the preseason week one? Those teams with those quarterbacks that didn't play were three and eight in week one. Three and eight. And we see it more and more year after year. The Raiders are curing these these injuries. In, in training camp. Why? And, and they're not playing in the preseason. Because they're not healthy. Probably not in shape. And that's why you need to play. You need to play in the preseason. So that's one of the reasons for their injuries. That's another reason for why you have the... You're not cohesive. Especially on the offensive side of the ball. The Raiders have not played a full 60 minutes as of yet. Too many inconsistencies. And then there's the play clock. The play clock. We talked about this time and time again last year. And people wanted to blame Greg Olson, the offensive coordinator. You wanted to blame Rich Basaccia, the interim head coach. He wasn't used to being a head coach. He let Greg Olson call the plays, do everything. And what did we talk about? The Raiders fighting the play clock. Not being able to get the play in. Not being able to get the play off. How many delay game penalties? And guess what we've seen? The same thing happened the first three weeks. This is a problem. Now, who's to blame for that? That's coaching. 100% on coaching. And it starts with Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, the play caller, and now the head coach. People have talked about Josh McDaniels being this great, 
play caller, be an offensive coordinator with the New England Patriots. All right? He takes blame for this, and deservedly so. Because why on earth are the Raiders continuing to fight the clock? When you see Derek Carr, Derek Carr in the huddle, sitting there going, come on, give me the play, give me the play, and the clock is winding down. The play clock is winding down, and he's getting the play with about 13 or 14 seconds, and the clock is ticking and ticking and ticking, and then they're racing up to the line of scrimmage at 6, at 5, at 4, at 3, at 2, at 1, and then they got to get the playoff or they got to burn a timeout. Raiders had no timeouts again down the stretch yesterday. But that is on the head coach slash offensive coordinator. And in this case, it really is the same guy. Do you have any idea when his last win was? Yeah, I do. Week 10, yes. 2010. Yes. Josh McDaniels is 1-11 in no, wh- his last 12 games as head coach. Oh, yeah. He is 1-11 in his last 12 games as a head coach in the National Football League. Now, obviously, this goes back to 2009-2010 when he's coaching the Broncos. And a lot of people want to dismiss that. But remember, after that tenure there, people said he's never going to coach again because he was dreadful. But this is what the NFL likes to do. They like to take the hot offensive coordinator or take the hot defensive coordinator. You know what head coaches do, the successful ones? They lead. Leadership skills. And I'm not here to bash Josh McDaniels, but... He doesn't get a pass because he's been a head coach before. He was supposed to learn from his time in Denver. He leaves Denver, goes back to the Rams as an offensive coordinator, gets reunited back with Bill Belichick. He gets to rebuild his brand and his resume, and then now the Raiders' job comes open. It's like, okay, great. I can be a head coach again. No. 0-3 to start out right now against three beatable opponents? Bears very easily could be 3-0, and and I don't want to hear about the schedule being too tough because the Chargers, the Cardinals, and the Titans, that's not a tough schedule. It's not a tough schedule at all. Are, am I surprised that the Raiders are 0-3? Not necessarily. But sh- should they be 2-1? and Could see that. Absolutely. They're not a horrendous team because on paper, they look good. They are good. But when you get into the game situation, then Derek Carr comes into question. And people saying he's not an upper echelon quarterback. Then you've got Darren Waller. Arguably, supposed to be one of the best tight ends. Signs a huge contract in the offseason. And he has the dropsies. Didn't play at all in the preseason. And I'm not going to beg on Darren Waller for coming to the Aces games. I appreciate him being at the Aces games. And he had permission to miss an exhibition game to, the, to come watch the Aces. But still, you got to play in preseason. You got to work out. You got to get that timing together. And you've got Devontae Adams, who's doing everything on the offensive side of the ball that he can. And you got Max Crosby, who was fantastic yesterday. Crosby's doing his part. But everywhere else, nightmare. It is unbelievable that you continue to have these problems getting plays off. One of the most simplistic things in the game of football. Just get the playoff. Don't battle from behind the change. Don't put yourself in in bad, down-and-distance situations. Josh McDaniels talking about yesterday's game, the recap. 
Okay. Um, uh, give give Mike and his crew a, uh, obviously a lot of credit. Um, they started the game better than we did, no doubt, no doubt about it, and dug ourselves a hole again. Um, you know, so we're gonna have to learn how to play a full 60 minutes uh, and you know earn the right to win, and that's kind of where we're at right now. So uh, there's a lot of things we have to do better as coaches and players, and uh, that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna focus on. Short answers usually after a loss like this. Short answers and really not knowing what to say or how to address the media here. Josh McDaniels, why is this continuing to happen? I mean, we're hard at work at trying to figure out how to stop the why from happening again and again. But, um, you know, I mean, losing gets old fast. And, uh, you know, these guys... They compete hard, they play hard, and coaches coach hard, and you know, um, but you have to earn it, you know, and there's good players and good coaches on the other side, and um, you know, we got to learn how to start well, play well in the middle, and finish well, you know, and uh, right now we've, you know, we've not figured out that formula yet. <clears throat> they have not figured out the formula. They're working hard at it, but again, what can you say when you're 0-3? You know you're under scrutiny at this point in time. You get it. You know that you're 1-11 in your last 12 games as a head coach. And you have basically the facilities, you got the personnel, you got the talent, and their roster is better than half the teams in the National Football League. But guess who the only team is that's 0-3 right now? The Raiders. Only team that's 0-3. A lot going wrong right now for the Raiders. Yeah, we had some opportunities. Um, you know, we definitely were able to move the ball and, um, you know, but we, you know, when you get down there, you have to either run it in if they're going to play coverage or, uh, you know, find some single matchups because they were double teaming a couple of our guys at times during the course of the game for sure and um, be able to, to, to poke it in that way. So um, just overall execution, you know, had a few penalties down there that hurt us and, um, you know, just we got to eliminate those obviously before we're going to be able to put it in. So, um, you know, situational football, uh, we're, we talk a lot about it. We try to work on it a lot. And, um, you know, it, it hurt us today in the red zone. And we're very good on third down, obviously. All right. Talking about the offensive woes there. How about the defensive side about Derrick Henry? We talked about the Titans made a, a conscious effort to give Derrick Henry the ball, especially in that opening drive where he touched it six of the first 12 times. Derrick Henry stopping him, a problem for the Raiders yesterday. You know, without seeing the film, it's hard to exactly, you know, pinpoint a few things here or there. But, you know, I mean, it takes everybody. You know, when you're playing uh, a good player like that, uh, and he's obviously a great player, um, you know, you're going to need everybody to do their assignment right and to play tough and physical. And you can't guarantee the ball is going to go to one guy or another. So, um, you know, 11 guys are out there on defense. We all got to be able to tackle. We all got to be able to pursue the ball and play with great effort. And I just thought, you know, they had a good game plan coming out. They tried to mix it up a little bit. You know, Tannehill made some really good plays in the first half, I thought. Um, you know, and those things, you know, counter, you know, the running game. So um, just all in all is everybody's got to do their job the right way if you want to stop somebody like that. All right, the Raiders have lost three in a row. And like we said, it's not against elite stellar competition. How concerned is Josh McDaniels about these guys getting depressed knowing they're 0-3 and against three beatable opponents? I mean, I you know, look, I, 
this league requires a lot of mental toughness and um you know nobody likes losing you know what i mean so i i know they it should hurt when we lose we all feel shitty so um you know we want to try to do better and put our best foot forward um you know but the only way to do that is to come back in and you know work hard at it and try to put together another good week this week and try to go out there and earn a victory on sunday that's that's it so you know, looking at guys and, and doing all that stuff at this point. I mean, there's a long season to play, a lot of football left, and a lot of improvements to be made um, and a lot of growth, hopefully. So that's what we're going to focus on. All right. Uh, Josh McDaniel made a statement when he took the job. It's coming back to get a lot of heat where he said, this team needs to learn to win. And now a lot of people in the media are bringing that up again, saying, why is he saying that? The Raiders were winning last year. The Raiders were above 500 for the first time in a long time. The Raiders made the playoffs. They went to the playoffs last year. They need to learn to win. I think he's still thinking that right now. You know, I mean, look, it, it, there's no secret about it. you got to do a lot of things right to win. Winning's hard in this league. Uh, I think they know that. We know that. Um, every week's a, a big challenge, you know, coaches, players, schemes, um, and you're going to have to earn it. You know what I mean? We've been in three close games, you know, so uh, it's not like we're not, you know, competitive or have an opportunity to, to do it at the end. Um, we just we're going to have to make a few more plays, you know, um, as we go through the ball game. So, again, I, I'm looking for us to, to try to improve uh, and play a full 60-minute game, you know, where we actually start well, play well in all three phases, and, you know, see what that looks like, you know, because I'm not sure that we've done that yet. All right. He realized they haven't done it yet, and the Raiders have got to correct some things. The quarterback, Derek Carr. Here's Derek Carr talking about, are they playing well enough to win? Um, not, not for what it takes to win, you know, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, the penalties down the red zone, um, the other stuff, whatever, uh, you know, that's, uh, we, we have to be better. And if we're not, it's going to, we're going to have a sucky feeling after every game, you know, so, uh, you, you try your best to do it the right way in practice. And if you don't do it right in practice, you can't expect it to go right in the game. And, uh, we got to look at that and, each man as an individual say, okay, then I got to be better at this, this, and this. All right, Derek Carr talking about not playing well enough to win. What is the most frustrating part of this, according to Carr? Yeah, um, yeah, I think just the overall feeling of losing is what um, is what breaks my heart, you know. And um, you know, I, I feel, I know, I've seen what it takes to win at this level, and I, I see what our coaches are saying every week, and. Um, you know, that's why we, I believe in what we're doing, you know, but we don't have the results yet. And so that, that's always hard. So you just got to keep reminding the young guys, they don't know any better either, you know, that trust me, like if we just, if you just do it the way they're saying, you do it the right way, when, it, when you show up on Sunday, it'll get done. All right, Derek Carr talking about that. You know, this game came down to a failed two-point conversion, but that really wasn't the game. Overall, they had plenty of struggles offensively. Here's Carr talking about, if he's surprised that the offense is struggling at this point in time. The fact that we haven't won, you know, um, we've shown flashes of like boom, 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 boom. You know, it feels, and it feels good, you know. And, uh, but it comes back to what, you know, Josh keeps telling us like on the film, you know, certain things keep showing up. And, um, you know, if we don't correct those, again, we're, it's going to feel this way, you know. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't have any doubt. I don't have any like worries. I've been on... 
I've definitely been on teams where I'm like worried, like, how are we going to do it? You know, and I don't, I don't have that feeling, not even close, have that kind of feeling, you know, um, especially when we're out there. Uh, but we do have to correct some things or, else, or it's going to be hard. All right, there's Derek Carr, the Raiders quarterback, and the head coach, Josh McDaniels, talking about their thoughts after the game yesterday where the Raiders lose to the Tennessee Titans 24-22 and now fall 2-0-3. Now, is glum and gloom as it seems right now at 0-3 and how negative Raider fans are right now? You got next week. And I got a feeling that next week we should have a little bit different narrative. The Denver Broncos are coming to town. Now, the Denver Broncos are 2-1 right now. A team that probably should be 0-3 themselves. And they trailed for the entire game last night up until the final two minutes. And they beat the 49ers 11-10 in a baseball score game, a high-scoring baseball game. (laughs) Russell Wilson has not looked great. Nathaniel Hackett, their head coach, has been booed in two home games in Denver. And Denver's coming to Las Vegas next week. The Raiders should be able to defeat the Denver Broncos and be 1-3. and three. And then maybe fans will get right back on the bandwagon and say, hey, it's all good, it's all good, it's all good. And I, and I expect that to happen. But they've got to clean this stuff up. They've got to be able to get plays off. They can't make the penalties. They kind of reverted back to that old Raiders that we've seen year after year after year with penalties. But if you're looking for glass half full, hey, you're playing the Denver Broncos next week in a divisional game at home, fresh off of three losses that shouldn't have been losses, and coming off that embarrassing home defeat you had when you take the field on Sunday two weeks prior. Quick take. Yes. If they stay how they are now, are they in the playoffs? They stay how they are now? Absolutely not. No, but I mean like no injuries, no trades, no nothing like that. I'm not I'm not meaning like the way they play. I'm meaning players getting injured, trades, coaching staff moves, stuff like that. If they if if they don't change anything, do they make the playoffs? No, absolutely not. They don't. Okay. Yeah. No. I mean again, you you got to win. And you've got a decent schedule still. I mean, you're, just, you know, you're playing Jacksonville and Houston. You're, you're going to have those guys. But, again, you, you should have won probably two out of the three of these games. Or maybe one out of three. But not 0-3. So, again, it's a long season. It's a marathon. Can't get too concerned. But teams that start off 0-3 usually don't make the playoffs. Now, you got that extra game this year like you did last year. You know, you got 17 games. So, a little silver lining, but it starts with the win. And Josh McDaniels has to win. He wants to talk about changing the culture. These guys need to learn how to win. As a head coach, you need to learn how to win. You've won one out of your last 12 games as a head coach. And that's got to start Sunday. All right, more NFL coming up uh, next hour. So hang with us with that. We'll talk to Matt Holt from U.S. Integrity, Chuck Esposito over at Red Rock. We'll talk about the games yesterday. We'll preview tonight's Monday Night Football game. we got all that coming. But when we come back, we're going to talk a little Major League Baseball here with one of the great players back of Major League Baseball going back into the 80s and the 90s for the Atlanta Braves. 18-year veteran Dale Murphy is going to be joining us next. Get up there, get up.
Around your door and more of what you're looking for with the Dr. T.C. Martin. Crunch time with Major League Baseball as we've got less than 10 games with most teams for the postseason, but we have the expanded postseason. Looking forward to that. And right now, we've got one of the great baseball players Back in the 80s and the 90s, an 18-year Major League Baseball veteran had 15 of those great seasons with the Atlanta Braves. And, of course, our audience knows who he is. Seven-time All-Star, two-time National League MVP, five-time Gold Glove Award winner, four-time Silver Slugger, two-time National League Home Run Leader. The list kind of just goes on and on with the resume here. And if you're an Atlanta Braves fan, of course you're going to remember number three. Dale Murphy joins us right now. Dale, how you doing, my man? Oh, I'm doing great after that introduction. I feel <laughs> great. Well, here's the thing about this introduction, too, is your name, you know, your nickname actually should be consecutive because I don't think I've ever, you know, talked to anyone and we talk about those type of awards, that all of your awards that you won were consecutive years. They were like back to back to back to back. And, and, and seriously, I mean, that is highly unusual. I mean, two-time NL, NL MVP in consecutive years in 82 and 83, five-time Gold Glove Award winner in five straight seasons, the Silver Slugger Award consecutively, home run leader in 84 and 85. I mean, I don't know if you've – well, of course, you probably thought about that, but – how crazy is that? Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I had, you know, I had a consecutive playing streak during that time, over 700 games. But really, it was a, you know, let's let's. It's a combination of we were a decent team that always helps because we before that and after that, those few years there, we struggled a little bit, but we had a good team. Um, Bobby Cox kind of put that team together, and then he went to Toronto, and Joe Torrey came in, and I had my best years under Joe. I wouldn't have been in the outfield if it weren't for Bobby. So, you know, I was really fortunate. I stayed healthy, and, uh, yeah, those were those were fun years. Really, really a lot of fun. And I'm glad you brought that up, Dale, because you started out as a catcher, and a lot of people probably don't remember that. And then you got moved over Thankfully. to first yeah <laughs> and then you got moved over to first base and then you spent the bulk of your career in the outfield with those again you know gold glove awards and all that sort of thing take us through that journey and why that happened and how that unfolded to go from catcher to first base into the outfield Well uh I got a little bit of the yips catching um then I got a little bit better but <laughs> It just never really got really good. I, I think I have 80, 90 games catching in the in the big leagues. Uh, I got called up in September 76, September 77, and then 78, I went to first base. 79, I was kind of catching first base, kind of both. And uh, uh, But really, uh, bottom line is my defense is catching and it, as a catcher and at first base just wasn't going to keep me in the lineup. And then I started to hit. Um I actually got off to a great start in 79 playing first base and then got hurt. But Bobby was like, hey, uh, you know, you're starting to hit. What do you, you know, we're going to move you to the outfield. And I was, you know, I was kind of like, do I have a choice? And he's like, not really. We're kind of, we're kind of at the end of our rope here. 
And, you know, I could run a little bit. I wasn't fast, but I, I wasn't slow. I mean, I, 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 you know, could steal a few bases, but I wasn't a, you know, a leadoff type hitter. But I could, I could move a little bit, and Bobby's like, let's do it. And I said, great. And I really took to it because I knew it was kind of, it was kind of my shot. I mean, I, Bobby saved my career. You know, he sticks with guys. Uh, that's the hallmark of Bobby's career is sticking with guys probably past time they deserve, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, given a chance. But that's what endeared everybody to Bobby. And uh, so I'm thankful. You know, people say, what's it take to make it? I'm like, well, you got to have some talent, obviously. But, you know, things have to fall your way. People got to give you a shot. And a lot of things happen. You just, you know, be ready. And I, I tried to be ready. What was your primary position when you were growing up playing in high school? Well, I had a good arm, so, uh, but my coach, uh, I was really fortunate in high school uh, uh, playing in Portland, Oregon for Jack Dunn, Hall of Fame high school and college coach, uh, and I was a catcher. He, he put me behind the plate, and, you know, this now, uh, looking back, I probably, anywhere else, I would have been a pitcher or, a, you know, like a short-sum pitcher because I had a good arm. But we had a good program, really good program. American Legion program was deep enough where I didn't pitch. I didn't even pitch in high school. So I was drafted on the strength of, you know, potentially hitting some home runs and having a really good arm. And so it, it helped me when I went to the outfield. You know, I still had that arm. and and uh, But that's, you know, kind of uh, I was very fortunate. Um, and that's why I was drafted, you know, back then. And even now, catching is always a premium. And uh, I was fortunate. I, I caught, you know, sophomore, junior, and senior year in high school. Yeah. And then uh, you went to BYU. Uh, and, again, a, a shout-out to them, or our good friend uh, Trevor Maddich, who was also a Cougar on that uh, national championship team on the football side. So a little shout-out to, to BYU for you as well, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, just because a lot of – it's a little misleading. I did go to BYU. It's where I met Nancy, but I didn't right. play you ball. You didn't play there. ball there. I know, right. That's what I was right. asking. I was, about, yeah. Right. Yeah. But but some people even come up to me and say, hey, I remember you playing at BYU. I'm going, I go, no, that was Wally Joyner. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'll take, but I'll take it. Wally, no, Wally had some great years yeah. there, too. But uh, but I did go to BYU. Yeah, Nancy and I met there. And uh, and we've had kids at, uh, well, we've had kids at every college in Utah. So we're Cougars, we're youths, we're everything. I don't think anyone's going to confuse you with Wally Joyner. Okay? I don't think so. <laughs> Dale Murphy joins us. Uh, you were always known as a great teammate, a class guy, winner of several sportsmanship and character awards off the field, including the Lou Gehrig uh, Sportsman of the Year, Roberto Clemente, the Bart Giamatti Community Service, uh, and also the World Humanitarian Hall of Fame. Is Was that a conscious effort that you put forth to be in that kind of guy, Dale? And explain why that was so important to you. Well, I think first, it, you know, just my parents, uh, you know, uh, volunteered at certain things growing up. You know, I just kind of remember that. And then people people say who, you know, you, you get to the big leagues and you kind of watch people. I, and I had Phil Necro. I mean, very, you know, he, uh, former uh, Roberto Clemente Award winner as well. Uh, you know, and Phil was the ultimate professional on and off the field. And so when it just kind of, you know, what happens when you get there or really, you know, even in your community as high school, our, our culture puts 
athletes, you know, up there. Sometimes we shouldn't be put up there, but you get put on these pedestals and you have a chance to serve, whether you're a high school, college, or professional athlete. You can just make a difference. And and so when I got the big leagues, um, uh, you know, Phil was kind of, you know, doing some things. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I want to I be like Phil. And uh, I want to do things like Nuxie. And so it just, you know what happens? You got to have opportunities. And I think most professional athletes understand that. And I think this day and age, these, these guys are raising money and giving money like nobody's been, like we never did. I mean, these, these guys are contributing their communities in some um, just unbelievable ways. And I think most guys feel that. And so you just kind of have opportunities. You've always been one of those guys that is considered to be on the cusp of getting into the Hall of Fame. 398 home runs, you had over 2,000 hits, over 1,200 RBIs, career average of 265. And with all the awards that we mentioned earlier, well-deserved. Not being elected yet, is that something that bothers you? Well, it... uh... It doesn't. A couple of things. It, it not really bothers me. I I have a lot of people who support me and think I should be in, and I think uh, there's a spot in there for me. Um, you know, I I knew what I wasn't going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and uh, so a couple of things. Um, the the Hall of Fame has changed their voting that has given us guys in the 70s, 80s, 90s an extra look, and I I could be eligible again this this off season. I'm not sure because COVID kind of messed mess things up, but for instance, Lee Smith went in, Alan Trammell went in, uh, and I'm forgetting some guys. Uh, I'm, forget, I'm forgetting who else went in, but as a result of the new uh, era committee, so um, so I, I got a shot. So I'm thankful the, the Hall of Fame is you know, reconsidering and giving us a different, they've changed it. It's not just lumped in all veterans. You know, it's different eras. So I have a shot, and uh you know, we'll see. It's tough to get in, uh, but somewhere I got to find this quote. I thought I read it. Bill James, father of you know analytics, said, "I th- I think I read it 20 years ago when I retired." Is they asked him, "Is Murphy going into the Hall of Fame?" They said, "He said yes. He's going in when he's 74." So, <laughs> so. I got to stay healthy between now and then. That's my goal. <laughs> yeah, Bill James. I know you know with the the analytics and the he's always been that numbers math guy. Right. And, and I think right. he and he was looking at your numbers. Like, well, Dale had right. had really good numbers. You know, and again, he had over two thousand hits, but you know they weren't three thousand hits. And you know he had right. you know right. he didn't hit you know five hundred homers. He hit three ninety eight. So I was like, well, you know, I had yeah. no. I I think he said something like, I have I would have no problem if he got in but you know it wouldn't be on my yeah. ballot right away something like that but come on bill james yeah. what do you know you ham and egger <laughs> give me a break yeah. well i'm good i mean you know i'm not uh, to say i'm disappointed i mean i i kind of like i said i knew it wasn't gonna if it happened it wasn't gonna be soon i knew that so we'll see what happens i'm i understand but this you know, is and we've talked about this before i know you can attest to this and you even said it yourself it's probably the toughest Hall of Fame to get inducted in. I mean, you played 18 years, and like we said, seven-time All-Star, two-time MVP, the the Gold Gloves. I mean, five of those, five, four Silver Slugger. I mean, that's not your Garden Variety awards, and then doing it back to back to back like that. 
And then, like you said, 740 consecutive games played, 11th all-time in the history of Major League Baseball. No, Dale, you deserve to be in, plain and simple. Well, you do. Thank you. You do. Thank, thank you. I, I appreciate it. And like I said, I got some people who are very, very supportive. Um, Buster Only, I think, has been out there. And, you know, a few uh, in media, it's – but 75%, so let me tell you another thing. If I get on the ballot, there's 16 people on the on, on the voting committee of the ERA committees every time they do it, and you need 12 of them. And it's tough because, again, that's 75%. And whichever – bottom line is, yeah, you're right. It's You know, my kids will say, Dad, how come it's just not a majority? Yeah. You know, and I go, well, that's – you know, those are the rules, and it's tough tough to get in and uh you know i i i mean it's uh again i repeat myself but thankful that the hall of fame recognizes that when we got lumped in with the thousands of uh of uh veterans and retired players that the 80s and the seven i'm kind of in i think it's called the modern era 70s 80s 90s and uh you know we just weren't getting looked at uh, at least scrutinized. And so, you know, now I have a chance to get scrutinized about every three years. So we'll see what happens. Dale Murphy joins us. You were always a clean guy when you played. And I didn't just mean clean by, you know, not doing steroids, and that sort of thing, just uh, like we talked about. I mean, just a real stand-up guy. But you played in that steroid era. You're, you've been a big advocate of not cheating and playing the game the right way. When you continue to see players using PEDs today and then having seen the guys that you played against using, how did that make you feel, and why were you so willing to stand up and speak out? Well, I uh, – yeah, I, okay, there's a number of things there. Uh, people said, why didn't I say something while I was playing? I probably – you know, if, if we were kind of in a weird – when I retired in 93, it wasn't probably hot and heavy. Like it was mid to late nineties, uh, when it went crazy, but you can, well, I can think of it started mid eighties, but it wasn't rampant. Um, and so, you know, people say, well, why didn't you say something? Well, first of all, I didn't, I never saw anybody take them. I mean, people, I think they knew it was against, the rules against the law or the spirit of the game, because nobody did that stuff out in the open. And so, um, but, you know, it started to get so bad. I was like, man, I got to say something to the kids anyway. It's like, you know, kids, you don't need to do this stuff, which I think we're seeing enough clean ball players to prove that true now. Uh, and that I try to remind the kids that people are just going to remember your legacy. They're, they're not going to remember numbers. They're going to remember how you did it. And that's a hard thing to get across to kids. I mean, uh, you know, there's polls out there somewhere that people say they take 10 years off their life to get a gold medal. I mean, that's that's how serious we are about sports and competitive, uh, you know, our competitive juices are flowing. But uh, it's it's just the wrong way to approach it because all you have left, and we can see the guys that have done steroids or been closely linked to it, is that's all everybody talks about is, you know, they're – the way they did it. So, you know, I just try to remember that baseball's doing a much better job than they did while I was playing. And so now to see guys, especially like Fernando Tatis to get bumped for, I mean, I, I just, 
I'd be going crazy if I was the Padres, personally. <laughs> you know, to trade, to trade and get Soto, and then you see a guy trying to, you know, you just it, it, it's a temptation. You don't need it, um, and I think we have enough guys proving in in baseball that you do not need that stuff. There's enough going on out there with supplements and weight training, and we know more about nutrition. A lot of teams have catch this sleep coaches. I mean, they. <laughs> They are taking care of themselves. You do not need this uh, a steroid, which has good benefits under controlled circumstances, but not to hit home runs. Right, and we see uh, fewer guys uh, uh, smoking cigarettes now in the dugout or in the clubhouse than, than we do back in the day. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, that's a great example. Guys don't smoke. Right. You know, guys. There's a few guys that chew, but you can tell by watching on TV. Very, very few guys. I mean, it's. It's really good. They wised up, and, you know, it's it's good. They're taking better care of themselves, and they're training better. They're playing more baseball as kids, and you just you just don't need, with legal supplements now, you don't need steroids. So the Atlanta Braves, 15 years with that organization, uh, how closely do you still follow the Braves, and how often were you around during that 2021 World Series run? Oh, I was, uh, you know, I follow them. I, you know, I know what they do every day. I don't watch every game. I know what's happening. Uh, and that was so exciting last year. I mean, Bob Horner doesn't call me every day, but he calls me up in the middle of the playoffs. And, and we were so excited, mostly because of Brian Snitter. You know, he was one of us from the 80s. Right. And, uh, you know, we don't know. I don't know a lot of these young guys. I mean, I, I've met him and shaken hands with him, but I follow him. Uh, it's just ridiculous how good they are and how young they are. This Michael Harris, I mean, they just walk out of double A and they're ready to go. It's, it's amazing. This generation is so good, uh, so young. The Braves are in a really good, you know, situation for the next who knows how long. They, their, their scouting is great. Uh, they're, they just are young and good, and they're a lot of fun. So I, I was there at the playoffs, there at the World Series last year. It was it was a fun time, and especially happy for Brian Snitker and, you know, great story there. Great guy. Let's leave on this, uh, Dale. I want to talk to you about, you know, the Major League Baseball home run marks and records that we've been talking about. Aaron Judge is on 60, and, you know, he's one away from Roger Maris' 16 for, you know, putting him in Yankees lore there. Uh, then Albert Pujols hit 700 over the weekend, which is phenomenal. Talk a little bit about both of these guys, and specifically uh, Pujols, and in what he's done towards the end of his career. And I know you followed his career a lot. Yeah, good. Both guys, I really admire. Good people talk about uh, involved in their communities. Uh, Albert Pujols' work is legendary. Um, you know, Chipper Jones once said something really interesting to me that really rang true with me. Uh, he said, when you're young, the game's too fast. And then in the middle of your career, it slows down. And then at the end of your career, it speeds back up. And that's one thing. I had a tough time making an adjustment. Chipper Jones did it great. Uh, made that adjustment, you know, uh, um, productive in the later years of his career. Uh, Derek Jeter as well. There's just a handful. And, and you know, you can say uh, that about Albert Pools. It is so hard to do that. Too well at at an older age. It's just I, I just marvel. It, it's really and and I watched Chipper too, and I was like, that's unreal. It is really hard 
because your mind just knows that you're not as fast as you used to be. And if your mind isn't right, all sports, you know, from your mid-30s on is really tough. Um, I love Judge with the Yankees. I, I'm not picking them to win the World Series. Uh, I think they got a great shot, a great team. But uh, I don't know. We could see another Braves-Astros uh, World Series. Um, I like teams in this day and age that uh, they play a little more, they make a little more contact, uh, especially in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, I don't know where the Braves are at that, but I think they do a pretty good job. I think the Astros do a really good job. So I still think the Yankees strike out a little too much yep. to, to make it all the way to the end. But Judge could carry him. We'll see. Um, I love I love both those guys. They're a lot of fun to watch. I think they're great for the game and uh, somebody the kids could look up to. I agree with you. I, I think we do see the Astros back in the World Series, and then it's going to be up to the the Braves maybe uh, battling the Dodgers uh, for that. And I wouldn't yeah, mind, I wouldn't well, mind seeing that, that that same World Series run it back uh, next year as well too. So yeah, Dodgers just... Dodgers are going to be. I mean, you know, you look at last year and. Well, now obviously you got Freddie Freeman hitting third for him. I mean, and their lineup is unreal. I, I mean, they're probably going to be favored. Uh, they were a little banged up when the Braves got them last year, so I'm sure the Dodgers are going to be raring to go this year. It's going to be tough. It's going to be. It's going to be, it's going to be a great postseason. Yeah. Dale, great talk with you, my friend, and uh, hopefully we could do this again. I'd love to tap into you, especially with the postseason coming. But a great career. And uh, just, just, just love everything that uh, you're all about. Uh, loved you as a player. Love what you did uh, post career as well too. Uh, just a great all around guy, and I appreciate you, my man. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. How's love that? You. All right, all right. Take care. There is Dale Murphy, one of the best. 18 years, major leagues, and if you're over 40, you remember Dale Murphy, no doubt, one of the best. 15 years with the Atlanta Braves. Come back, NFL Talk, next hour. Live in the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. Been a great third down defense the last two weeks. The Steelers have got an interception and a run back all the way home. It's Belaine with the touchdown. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Mahomes drifting downfield, intercepted. His first of the season, Jeff Heath comes away with it, and he could go. Tripped up by Mahomes inside the five. The doctor is now in. Hour number two here on this Monday edition. Talk a little NFL this hour. Last hour hit the Raiders pretty hard. Go check that back out at the website at tcmartinshow.com. And also Dale Murphy, great talking with him. Dale Murphy, legendary Atlanta Brave back in the day, 18 years with the Braves. Actually, 18-year career, 15 of those with the Braves. Uh, Again, I was serious. His nickname should be consecutive with all those consecutive awards that he had. And it would be great to see Dale Murphy in the – Baseball Hall of Fame. All right, so that'll be up on our interview page as well a little bit later on at tcmartinshow.com. But this hour we talk NFL college football. Recap the weekend for you uh, here on this Monday quarterback edition of the show. And no better person to join us like he traditionally does on these Mondays. The former signal caller himself, I think so. The one and only Matt Holt. What's going on, brother? TC, 
how are we doing, my man? I'm good, man. How how are you doing? Uh, still king of fantasy baseball. That is Matthew Holt, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe we should call you consecutive going after back-to-back-to-back titles. Look, I'm looking for the dynasty. That's for <laughs> sure. Looking for the dynasty. All right, Mr. GM. Uh, good stuff. All right, so let's talk a little bit about what our eyes saw on Sunday in the NFL. Talk about some games. Hit the Raiders at the top of the show, but I want to get your take about this, Matt. I thought it was a bad matchup for the Raiders. Everyone talked about how bad they needed this game uh, coming into it 0-2. They didn't want to be 0-3, but Mike Vrabel thought the exact same thing. And uh, Derrick Henry did his thing. Tennessee Titans defense did their thing. And all of a sudden now we're looking at the Raiders being the only team in the NFL at 0-3. And it's really been a tale of of two halves. Every single one of these Raiders games, if you remember the Chargers jumped out to a big lead and it was the Raiders coming back in the second half but falling short. And then, of course, in the second game, the Raiders got out to that 20-0 lead and then completely collapsed themselves and ended up losing that game uh, on on the fumble recovery for a touchdown against Arizona. And then, of course, this week they're down... 24-10 to at halftime. Tennessee doesn't score in the second half, and the Raiders come charging back but just failed to get it done with the failed two-point conversion. In each and every one of their three games this season, the Raiders have had a dominant half over an opponent. They held Tennessee scoreless for a half. They held Arizona scoreless for a half. But they have been unable to play a complete game, and that's why they're the only 0-3 team in in the entire league right now. And Josh McDaniels is going to come under a lot of heat here. And it just, it's kind of funny, Matt, because, you know, during the offseason, they get Devontae Adams. Fans are hyped up, you know, the OTAs, and then the preseason's coming here. And then the preseason, you don't see Carr, you don't see Renfro, you don't see Waller, you don't see these guys. And then all of a sudden, the Raiders have all of these injuries that mount early on here. And again, I will say it, I think a lot of that is a product because these guys are not playing during the course of of the preseason we're seeing guys cramp up we're seeing fatigue but then we're seeing injuries and now we're seeing a team that really just doesn't have their feet and there seems to be so much consistency just you know you know with the offense and and everything here and it just this is not what Raider fans expected but you know when you go back and you look at it and go well you know maybe a lot of this makes sense yeah absolutely I mean and then this is a team right here I mean, everyone talked about the division, the AFC West, and how hard this division is going to be. But the division only has five wins. I mean, the divisions that have the most wins this year, I think, are the, are the big surprise. The NFC East, especially considering Dallas has no Dak Prescott, has seven wins already. The NFC North, seven wins and three teams with a winning record. I think you can make a case, not only have the Raiders been a major disappointment so far, TC, but I'm not sure the AFC West has lived up to the hype. The Chargers, everybody's sexy Super Bowl pick, one and two. The quarterback's hurt. The defense is decimated with injuries. Denver is the luckiest two-and-one team there is. I mean, barely scoring one touchdown each in each of their last two games, but somehow winning, other than the Chiefs. You know, everyone was talking about this is the year that the the AFC West is up for grabs with the Raiders and the Chargers. It feels like it could be a Chiefs runaway in the AFC West. I agree with you. And let's and let's point 
to head coaching for this. I mean, you have Andy Reid, and then you've got a bunch of basically rookie coaches for the most part when you're talking about uh, Denver and the Chargers and the Raiders with Josh McDaniel. Let's remember, Matt, I mean, Josh McDaniel is 1-11 in in his last 12 games as a head coach. Now, sure, you got to go back to 2009 and 2010 with, with Denver, but remember, I mean, there's a reason why he hasn't been a head coach for the better part of a decade because after that Denver debacle, a lot of people didn't weren't sure that he could be a head coach, and now you're having a lot of those naysayers that are come back and saying, and we and we've talked time and time again last year about what's going on there with the Chargers. I mean, their head coach, and then Nathaniel Hackett's getting booed over in Denver. I don't know what gives. It's just funny, and it just it, this is kind of one of my pet peeves that that general managers uh, team presidents they are so quick to hire the hot offensive coordinator from the year before or the hot defensive coordinator there's no guarantee these guys uh, have head coach in their DNA and we see it year after year after year and like you said it's it's right in our face here in the AFC West yeah and look at the end of the day I think one of the more overrated things is that a great coordinator will become a great head coach. It's just a completely different job, TC, from being a great coordinator to try to turning that into being a head coach and managing a team rather than an actual part of a game. And and Josh McDaniels has not proven to have any success thus far in his second tenure as a head coach. All right. Matt Holt joins us, uh, U.S. Integrity, talking a uh, little Raiders, talking AFC West. Matt, let's talk about uh, some of the other games from yesterday. The Packers get the job done against uh, the Bucks, 14-12 yesterday. Uh, the game came down to a failed two-point conversion, but really, Green Bay dominated this game. Uh, it was kind of like Tennessee where they went wire to wire. They led the entire game. Packers were up 14-3 at halftime. And, you know, you look at what happened on third down conversions. Tampa Bay Two for 11 on third down. Uh, Brady had a decent game, but still uh, not really the Tom Brady we expected to see. We haven't seen uh, a real good Tom Brady thus far, and Aaron Rodgers was the better quarterback yesterday. Yeah, I mean, some strange fumbles in in that game. I I think Green Bay probably should have won by even a larger margin, obviously, and the fumbles and the interception by Rodgers there in the second half both you know, unfortunate, or Green Bay probably would have scored on both those drives. I'll tell you what I want to talk about, TC, is the Jacksonville Jaguars, who everybody wrote off prior to the start of the season, but have the best point differential in all of the NFL, plus 46. Look, this team's getting it done. Trevor Lawrence finally looks like the number one surefire, can't miss, super lock, number one pick that he is. This is a really interesting Jacksonville Jaguars team that has stockpiled these high draft picks for so long. And it is in a division where, I mean, the division's terrible. I think we're talking about Jacksonville Jaguars in the playoffs. Kind of early for that kind of talk, but you're right. You got to give them credit. Well, I watched the game yesterday, and I thought that you know there was a lot of line value here yesterday when you saw this line dip to three and a half. And I I had the feeling, or kind of you know knew that Herbert was going to play, and I was saying this is there's some value because actually there were some threes out there, Matt. If you go like back to Thursday and Friday, and then when word came out that Herbert was going to play, then of course the line jumped back up to seven and seven and a half. And sure enough, I mean, it did not matter. I mean, you're right. I mean, the Jacksonville Jaguars came to play, and, you know, Herbert didn't look great yesterday, but really didn't see, 
you know, the rib injury really come back to haunt him. I don't think. I just think that the Chargers maybe overlooked them, or maybe it's to to your point here that the Jacksonville Jaguars are maybe one of these up-and-coming teams that they're, you know, again, they played very well. They didn't really do it against the best competition. I mean, they played the Commanders, the Colts, and the Chargers, right? But but it bears watching right now that it seems like they're playing hard and Trevor Lawrence is improving. They remind me of the Buffalo Bills a few years ago that after Josh Allen had that rough rookie year and his second year he wasn't very accurate, you thought, boy, can Josh Allen actually lead an NFL team? He was a first-round lottery pick. You know, what is, is he going to be the type of guy that can lead a team to a Super Bowl? And then they put some pieces around him, and they had a bunch of quality young guys on defense already, and here came the Buffalo Bills. And now the last couple of years we've seen them be Super Bowl contenders year in and year out. And I feel like Trevor Lawrence could be that guy. Nobody was more talented in college than Trevor Lawrence. His, you know, his last year in college football, he won a national championship there. A lot of people said he had as much arm talent as everybody. You got him a new head coach in Doug Peterson, who's had a history of success. Surround him with a few weapons that can actually play and a defense that's really young and talented. I think this is a team that's probably going to head to the playoffs this year and going to be a Super Bowl contender next year and for the next couple of years with Trevor Lawrence as a quarterback. Definitely the Jaguars, one of the biggest surprises yesterday, 38-10, to 10, just drilling the Chargers. Uh, a couple other surprises, Matt. The Miami Dolphins beat the Buffalo Bills 21-19 yesterday, and the Colts up in the Chiefs 20-17. to You know, I was not involved in either one of those games, and I know that the public was really on Buffalo and Kansas City, and I guess to the naked eye, it was like, okay, wait a minute, you know, these, these are two strong teams. But to me, it just had trap on all these games because I know that the Colts have, have struggled, but you just figured, okay, the Colts are, are, are really not that bad of a team. So it didn't surprise me for them to come within that number of five and a half, but then they end up winning the game outright. And as far as the Dolphins go, especially what they did the week before were two or through six touchdown passes and they beat down Baltimore, you could just see Miami had a little mojo and we got the word you know, a couple days earlier that Buffalo is going to be missing four defensive starters. So I didn't have the guts to pull the trigger on each dog, but to me, not so surprising. Yeah, I think that the Buffalo-Miami score was one of the most fluky scores that we've seen in NFL this year. Probably the most fluky score. The Bills ran 90 plays to just 39 plays for the Miami Dolphins and out-yarded Miami 497 yards to 212. I mean, they outgained them by almost by 285 yards, TC. What the stats tell you if you don't look at the score is that was a Buffalo blowout. Yet somehow they managed to lose that game but even though they more than doubled up Miami on the yards gained and, and ran 51 more plays than the Miami Dolphins. You know, the stats say it probably should have been Buffalo about uh, 37 to 10 here. Instead, we get a 2019 Miami win because of all those miscues that Buffalo had in the red zone. Very, very rarely will you ever see a total yards 497 to 212 with the 497 team losing the football game. So anytime a team like Buffalo or Kansas City, you know, loses a game, people immediately are going to look towards next week and say, okay, well, they're definitely going to bounce back, especially when you're talking about, you know, two teams that, you know, basically could be in the AFC championship game, right? But if you look ahead, 
Buffalo has got to go to Baltimore. No easy task there. They're only a three-and-a-half-point road favorite. And then Kansas City has got to go on the road and play Tampa Bay. And that number right around two-and-a-half or three as well, too. So give me some quick thoughts as, as we do a look ahead with both of these teams. Do you think that they both bounce back? Or is, is it danger time for both of these teams? It could be danger time for both teams, but for two different reasons. For the Buffalo Bills, it's injuries on the defensive side of the ball. You know, we saw them lose Ed Oliver in the first game. Their defensive secondary is missing every single starter, and they just got some more bad news, you know, this week with more guys now going to be out. This Bills defense is absolutely decimated, so injuries have taken the Buffalo Bills and, and given them to a reason to worry for the entire season. For Tampa, it just doesn't seem to be clicking. I don't know what's up with Tom Brady. He doesn't seem happy to be playing football anymore. He doesn't seem happy to be there. He's a little bit older. The offense isn't clicking. This is a defense in Tampa Bay that's played pretty much as well as any defense in the league thus far through three three weeks. But this offense doesn't seem happy, and it's, and it's resonating throughout the entire team. You know, Tom Brady's throwing a fit, so, so Mike Evans jumps in and gets himself suspended. They seem disorganized, they seem disengaged, and they don't seem very happy. I think both teams have, have certainly have a lot to worry about, but for very different reasons. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we are seeing, again, more and more parity within the NFL, and it, we know it's hard to repeat as Super Bowl <laughs> champions, and it's, it's, it's hard to get back there. I mean, it is very, very difficult, and maybe these are two teams that, you know, are, are, will struggle uh, a little bit. But from a talent perspective, both Buffalo and Kansas City look rock solid. So we've talked about the surprises. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the expected results yesterday. Uh, the Rams over the Cardinals. The Rams now, I believe it's now 11 out of the last 12, where, even though Arizona got a victory at L.A. last year. But pretty much the Rams have dominated this. Low-scoring game again, and it seems like the Rams do enough to win, Matt, but they're not blowing anybody out. Yeah, that offense doesn't seem to be clicking quite yet either, T.C., but that defense is really good, again, again holding Arizona to just nine points yesterday. And uh, same thing with Baltimore Ravens, right? I mean, their defense isn't clicking. They're just the opposite, but their offense is, you know, 35 points against Miami, 37 against the New England Patriots. You talk about expected Baltimore also expected to be good. Really should be 3-0. and No surprises, Baltimore Ravens are good. Right. Uh, Philadelphia takes care of Washington yesterday. I thought that Washington might show up yesterday. Again, Carson Wentz, maybe, you know, he would show against his old team. That wasn't the case. I mean, Philadelphia had, what, 10, 11 sacks in this game, just harassed the heck out of him, 24 to 8 the final. And actually, it was a lot uglier than that if uh, you're rooting for the commanders. But talk a little bit about Philly. I mean, you know how much I love Jalen Hurts and everything, but now he's got his, you know, Devontae Smith. He's got some Alabama weapons around him as well, too. And this Philly defense is really making a statement. Uh, right now, Matt, class of the NS NFC East. And I don't think we're going to be saying the NFC least anymore. Look, this is how you build NFL winners. We saw it with Kansas City and Pat Mahomes. We saw it with the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen. We saw it back in the day with Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson when Russell Wilson was in his prime. You get a young quarterback that can that is both mobile and can throw the football, surround him with a good offensive line that can also run block so that you can run the football. 
And then you have a young, energetic defense. And that's what these people do. And the reason they can get the right pieces on defense is you get a quarterback on his rookie deal so he's not breaking the bank, which allows you to go out and spend on the offensive and defensive lines so that you're strong in the trenches. This is a recipe that's worked, TC, for the last decade. Quarterback on a rookie deal who's both mobile and accurate, good in the trenches on both lines, and, and that's a recipe for success, and we're seeing it now with the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Philadelphia Eagles. I totally agree. Totally agree. And great examples there that you give. And, again, uh, with, with Philly, I'd uh, love to see them uh, succeed, and they're doing very, very well right now. Uh, Bengals, they got back on track, rolling over the Jets 27-12. to 12. How much of this is, okay, now maybe the Bengals are back after struggling the first couple weeks, or is this just the product of who they played yesterday in the lowly Jets? Well, we just talked about the recipe for building Super Bowl contenders. Strong in the trenches on both lines, young quarterback on their rookie deal. The the, the Bengals do have a quarterback on their rookie deal in Joe Burrow. The problem is they spent all the rest of those draft picks on getting his old LSU teammates in Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, and they don't have an offensive line. They're not strong in the trenches So Joe Burrow has to be amazing. Jamar Chase has to be amazing. He's always under pressure. I don't know how he's going to make it through a season, TC, unscathed. He is on the run, it seems, every single play. I'm not sure I'm buying into Cincinnati's chances of getting back to a Super Bowl. All right, we've talked about the surprises from yesterday, the expected results, and then the toss-ups. And uh, definitely a tough game to handicap last night was Denver and San Francisco. Niners led all the way for what, what, 58 minutes of this game, and then Denver comes back. They get a safety. They get a touchdown at the end. They win 11-10. to And like you mentioned, Denver probably the ugliest 2-1 and team. They're going to come here and face the Raiders on Sunday. But talk a little bit about what you noticed in that game last night, specifically Russell Wilson, Denver, and then Jimmy Garoppolo back to being the starter for San Francisco. Uh, boy, Denver is terrible. I mean, back-to-back weeks. The only touchdown they scored happened to be in the fourth quarter, and it was enough. Let's say this about the Denver defense. They're playing great football. You know what's really interesting about San Fran is nobody that's a Niners fan wanted Jimmy G. They're like, Jimmy G's terrible. Let's get him out of here. They couldn't wait for Trey Lance to start. He was terrible in his debut. The Niners get a favorable spot last week at home against the Seattle team that overachieved in week one. Jimmy G comes in and saves the day, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, Jimmy G. There is a reason nobody wanted this guy, including the Niners, last year. Last night was the reason why. Yes, he looked great in the first quarter. They never score another touchdown the rest of the game. And when it counts, when Denver finally scores a touchdown, and it's 11-10 and 10 now, and you need to get a drive just to kick a field goal, he can't get it done. And, oh, by the way, that safety was 100% on Jimmy G. Know where you are. Have a little field presence. I mean, he ran right out of the back of the end zone. Matt Holt joins us, uh, U.S. Integrity. Matt, Monday Night Football tonight. 
Uh, we've got uh, the Cowboys and the Giants in that NFC East battle. The Giants have been a surprise. Uh, I think, uh, the Cowboys surprised the people last week uh, with a victory. Now you've got uh, Cooper Rush is the quarterback taking over. Jerry Jones says, hey, I would be open to having a quarterback competition uh, once uh, Dak Prescott gets healthy again. Uh, so obviously he something, sees something with Cooper Rush. I'm not sure I do. The kid out of Central Michigan. Uh, talk a little bit about that aspect and then handicap the game tonight. I think this is a tough spot for Dallas, actually. I I think the Giants are fired up. They have a ton of momentum. They understand the importance of division games in in order for them to make the playoffs, in order to keep up with the Philadelphia Eagles. And this is a big game at home Monday night against the division opponent. But to me, it's the injuries on the Dallas side. And not just Dak Prescott, although I'm not a Cooper Rush believer yet, but Dalton Schultz. Still out, the big tight end for Dallas. Michael Gallup, one of their best receivers, still out. Their left guard, Connor McGovern. I mean, it just goes on and on. Javon Curse, the safety. I just think this Dallas team's too beat up. And this is a Dallas team we all knew. They were missing some key weapons this year. Dak Prescott was not surrounded with the same level of talent this year that he's had in previous seasons. And now the talent that they do have is all banged up. Look, the Giants have won and won ugly through two weeks over two pretty soft opponents. But at the end of the day, I just think everything favors them tonight. Momentum, the situation, the spot, uh, the experience of Jones and, and, you know, this whole Sterling and all the players on this team that have been there, the fact that they really want it, too many guys banged up for Dallas. I think the G-men get it done at home here tonight. And we've got a low total in this game last night. I like the under in the Niners-Broncos uh, game last night, Matt. They're under 44-and-a-half. I think you got to think about the same thing, you know, tonight with, what, 38-and-a-half uh, or 39 in, th- in this game. I mean, you've got two strong defenses. Michael Parsons has been a, a, a beast. We've seen the Giants have problems protecting Daniel Jones. I know it can be fleet of foot uh, at times, but uh, – you got Wink Martindale, who is a fabulous defensive coordinator. He could give Cooper Rush some problems. Yeah, absolutely. I don't blame you. I think that you're you're thinking about this game right in terms of the under. I just think any NFL total under 40 now is a little bit risky. We just don't see a lot of them under 40 anymore. It's supposed to be an offensive game now. I know we have seen a lot of unders early especially in the primetime games. We've seen a lot of early uh, unders in these primetime spots. It just makes me nervous going under 40. Everybody said the same thing Thursday night with Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Oh, neither of these teams can score. You get a pick six, you get a couple of big plays. Remember, that thing went flying over when you consider the total ended up closing at 38. They score, what, 47. <laughs> and so, I mean... It's one of those things that doesn't take a lot. One defensive score, one punt return, you're really rooting for this game to be slow in the trenches. But I'm with you. It's hard to see it being a shootout. Uh, But in the NFL, with these two quarterbacks, the pick six is always there. That's what scares me about the under. Yeah, and uh, all... Uh, both of these teams have played nothing but unders in the first two games. I mean, Dallas 19-3 against the Bucks, 20-17 to 
against uh, the, the Bengals. And the same thing with the Giants. We saw the Giants in that low-scoring affair against Carolina last week, 19-16. Then you got to go, well, they went, it went 21-20 uh, against the Titans, but I still think that was an under. I think that game total was, was a little bit uh, higher than 41. But, yeah, you're right, man. It, it, it's tough to go under that. And usually kind of I look at that and I kind of stay away from it. I know there will be some teaser fans out there who will say, okay, hey, let me jack this up, you know, six or seven points and, and get that. But then the problem is, who do you pick in the side? Because it is a coin flip game. Yeah, I mean, I, if I was going to tease this game, I think you have to take the Cowboys and under because then it's such a big differential for that under, right? It's supposed right. to be a close game, so you'd have to take the seven or eight points with the Cowboys. But, uh, but I like the G-men tonight. That's my problem. I, I just think this is a good spot that really favorites the New York Giants. They just need a little momentum. Daniel Jones needed some confidence, something to feel good about. And trust me, if there's a game that the Giants ever wanted to win, it's at home against this Dallas Cowboys team that has just owned them lately. They would love to get revenge. They don't care that Dallas is down and don't have Dak Prescott or Michael Gallup or their tight end. They want to kick them while they're down, get that big win over the Cowboys, and move to 3-0. and You got it. All right, final thing, Matt, before we let you go, the college side on Saturday. What were your biggest takeaways? Man, Kansas is for real. This Kansas team is so fun to watch. I watched that entire game with Kansas and Duke. I had no intention of it. Uh, Miami was the biggest train wreck. But I I also, I think Florida State's a team that's not getting enough respect. Boy, have they looked good so far early in the season. Texas A&M, good for them. They answered a lot of questions this week. Everybody thought, well, they barely beat Miami. You know, lost at home to App State before maybe the season's done. Arkansas coming to town. This could be the year for the Razorbacks. Big time comeback, step up win for Texas A&M uh, to probably save their season. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw a missed field goal would give an Arkansas the lead and maybe even the win, and it hits the very top of the upright. Uh, there at Kyle Field. That was uh, an amazing finish, but a defensive battle with those teams. And uh, yeah, good for Jimbo Fisher and AM getting the W there. All right, Matt, we appreciate it as always. Great stuff, man. Uh, appreciate the insight and everything. And uh, good luck to you, my friend. All right, TC. Appreciate it. Best of luck. Take care. There he is, Matthew Holt. Uh, he's with us on Mondays, as he always has been from the very beginning when Matt was over there as the VP of operations over at CG Technology now, has his own company at uh, U.S. Integrity, and uh, Matt continues to sign contracts with all these schools. He just signed the University of Pittsburgh uh, back again. Uh, he's got to contracts with all of these college conferences, professional leagues, monitoring the integrity for uh, the gambling issues and everything. So doing a fantastic job of that. Appreciate uh, him joining us like he has uh, forever and ever here each and every week, especially on Mondays. Speaking of Mondays, Chuck Esposito, it's his time. We're going over to Red Rock. Chuck's going to talk about tonight's Monday Night Football game, where the action is, talk about how the books did, win, lose, or draw. Hey, this is Steve Heitner, and lucky you, you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. Uh, Let's go, baby, go. All right, here on this Monday, we get ready for the Monday Night Football tonight. Great spot to go watch the games over at Red Rock or any of the station casino properties. Oh, yeah, fun times 
and you got the Giants, and you've got the Cowboys, uh, two very public teams, two very big-time fan bases, and being early on the season, Cowboy fans probably still think they have a shot. Oh, and by the way, the Giants are thinking they're going to the Super Bowl. The Meadowlands going to be packed tonight, and uh, I'm sure a lot of the station casino properties will have uh, a lot of little red, white, and blue jerseys going as well. Chuck Esposito joins us now, hanging out there over at his spot at the Red Rock. Chuck, what's going on, brother? All good, T. Just a, another crazy weekend in the NFL. And you look at tonight's game, and Cowboys come in at 1-1, one and one, and the Giants are one of three teams that are still undefeated with uh, the Dolphins in the AFC and the Eagles, who happen to be in the NFC East with them. So a win here puts them at 3-0 and oh and tied with the Eagles as one of two teams tied are undefeated in the NFC. And how uh, surprised are you about all three of those teams, Chuck? Um, you know, I, I think I'm, I am surprised on all three, T. Uh, we kind of talked about it earlier. I thought, you know, there was a lot of hype on the Eagles coming in, um, but they've looked really good right now. I mean, you can make a case they're the best team in the NFC, but it's early. They haven't really beaten anybody yet. Um, Giants, same. You know, the fact they came back in that game against the Titans were able to win. They got a win in game two. Uh, if they happen to win here, they host the Bears um, next week with that dismal offense that Chicago has. They could easily be 4-0. and And I think you look at Miami, and they went out and got that big move for, for Hill in the offseason, but I think that they're the only undefeated team in the AFC is a big surprise. And I think it's just as a much of a surprise that the only winless team or the that the only win, the only winless team at 0 and three, not 0 and two and one like the Texans, but 0 and three happens to be the Las Vegas Raiders. Yes, uh, I know we've been talking a little bit about that. We'll get to that here in a minute, Chuck. But uh, going back, you mentioned uh, the the Bears there, Chuck. I mean, the anemic offense at least got a victory yesterday. Well, they're two and one, right? It, it's hard to believe, T. You know, they're, they're probably one of the few teams in the league that has a winning record, but has actually given up more points than they scored. Um, I know that uh, I think the Rams are in that same boat, but um, it, it's a head scratcher. They've been able to run the ball and play some decent defense, but um, it can't continue that way. Um, Justin Fields has really had troubles reading defenses, turning the ball over. Um, I know they're going to try. To, to get him to the next level. And I know it's taken some young quarterbacks some time before, but he's got to be able to do a better job um, at reading defenses and not turning the ball over. Um, it's a young Bear team. This uh, coaching staff and, and the management team now with Ryan Poles isn't married to him. So I, I think it's, uh, they're not the ones who drafted him. Um, I, I think Fields needs to really turn it around quick, or it wouldn't stun me to see a quarterback change in Chicago. Yeah, and here we go. We're talking about... You know, these teams potentially reaching or uh, Justin Fields, uh, Trey Lance. I mean, we've, you know, we've seen it. Uh, Daniel Jones with the Giants. And I just, I don't know, Chuck. It, it just seems like you can kind of see these things coming. But, you know, general managers, team presidents, they want to go ahead and, and try to get these, these, these hot kids out of college. But just their games just don't transfer well into the pros, especially those systems that they're coming from here. So I can't say that I'm surprised. And, you know, these guys could turn it around, but I just, I'm just not seeing it. Well, to be honest, T, when you look, you know, you could go up and down every game next week. And the quarterback play overall in pro football has been somewhat garbage. Yeah. I mean, you, you, I mean, you, you think about the struggles that some of these offenses have had. And, um, you know, I know that 
You know, Winston has really struggled with the Saints. Cousins has had his struggles with the Vikings. Matt Ryan does not look like, you know, Matty Ice. Everybody expected that, you know, with that offensive line and having Taylor and Pittman that he would kind of rejuvenate his career. That hasn't happened. We know the Bears are 2-1, and one, but not because of Fields, and the Giants are not 2-0 and oh because of Danny Dimes. Um, you know, you look at the struggles in, in Seattle and even uh, Detroit, the struggles in the Jets. Pittsburgh. I could go almost through every game. There's very few that you could look at the game like the Bills-Ravens and say, wow, Allen and Jackson, we're not worried about the quarterback position for these two teams for a very long time. Um, Jags and Eagles maybe with Lawrence and, and the way Hurts is playing right now. But there's not a lot of teams that we can say that about. And, I mean, I, I think right now, Overall, quarterback play across the league um, is a real difference maker in, in some of these teams and how the line's affected. And nobody, Chuck, looked worse than Carson Wentz yesterday. And for a veteran oh, guy to look that bad, just uh, atrocious. And I, I, I kind of felt bad for him. I mean, what, 10, 11 sacks he suffered yesterday, the offensive line dismal, but he kept getting up and he kept trying. But, but even when he had time to throw, he wasn't even close to his, his receivers. And just just downright bad. And as we know, this isn't a one-off for Carson Wentz. I mean, there's, there's a reason why you know they kicked him out of Indianapolis and – uh, it just it's just sad. It's just really that's you're talking about bad quarterback play all the way around. But I think of all the quarterbacks that I watched yesterday, Wentz was the most disappointing. Yeah, I mean he's in a handful. T. I mean even the Sunday night game last night. Look how many you know three and outs um, Denver had, and how many times how long it took them to actually get a touchdown on the board, and it was a rushing touchdown. And Jimmy Garoppolo really has struggled too a bit. You know, stepped out of bounds for the safety in that game. Um, Mac Jones, I know he's hurt right now, but in his second year, has really struggled. Um, Russell Wilson has been a little bit of a head scratcher. You have to wonder if if Seattle moved on because they they felt that maybe some of his best football was already behind him. But Denver gave him a you know a big new five year extension. But I think just overall, when you look at kind of you know quarterback play across the board, uh, there's a lot of teams with, with question marks right now. I know going into next year's draft, they're already talking about one of the best quarterback drafts, quarterback classes that's come around in a long time, and that's really going to make it interesting as teams start to wheel and deal and look at that of how they can acquire more draft capital to maybe get one of these quarterbacks. It is amazing. You're 100% correct that we are seeing such poor quarterback play. You know, it's funny because Major League Baseball, everyone's complaining about the batting averages are down and the strikeouts are up. And then with football from an offensive standpoint, I mean, the marquee position, I mean, the quarterbacks uh, have been bad. And, hey, let's throw Derek Carr in there as well too, right? I mean, Derek Carr – uh, again, you know, not not good. The Raiders won for 11 on third down conversions yesterday. You're not going to win football games like that. And I know that the Raider fans are upset right now. They never expected them to be, you know, 3 and uh, 0 and 3. Uh, some fans they thought they'd be 3 and 0 or maybe even 2 and 1 right now, but it's not like this team is they're losing to juggernauts here, Chuck. I mean, Chargers, Cardinals, and Titans yesterday, and uh, it's. It, what are your thoughts about this Raiders team, and especially yesterday's performance? Well, I mean, we talked about it last week, T, that no team in the league last year started 0-2 and made the postseason. I think over the last 30 years, one team has actually made the postseason that started 0-3. 
Um, they're 0-3. Um, some of these games that they came back in last year, uh, they just don't have the arsenal right now uh, to come back. And, you know, they, they play the Broncos here at home. Then they play Kansas City, um, which isn't going to be an easy task. Um, it, it, it's almost, I mean, I, I said it last week, it was a must-win game. I think this is again, because if you lose to Denver at home, uh, knowing you have to go to Kansas City and play, and that very well you know, it could be a game that you lose. They could be 0-5, and, uh, and at that point, you, you talk about 50% of their divisional games will, will already have been played. I don't think you come back from that. Um, they were the only team in the league to go 4-0 and during the preseason. I know it's just preseason, but they've really had their struggles. Offense looks out of sync, but I'm more concerned about that defense. It just doesn't seem like they can stop anybody right now. Yeah, they can't, and then you have injuries on top of that on both sides of the ball. Is treacherous, but can't you? Everybody's just... injured, though. I mean, the entire league has injuries across the board. So, I mean, I know that's something that you can use as a. A lot of teams will use that, especially if there's a multitude of injuries. But I think it's more than that with the Raiders right now. Yeah, I agree. Chuck Esposito joins us over at Red Rock. Uh, we're talking about. Uh, the NFL, yesterday, Raiders struggles. But, Chuck, can't you just see, and I don't know if you have a, a early line on this already coming up for Sunday, but can't you just see the Raiders, I mean, answering the bell here, uh, not you know to, to go not only 0-4, but just to come back and win at home against a Denver Broncos team, like you said, luckily to be 2-1 and one right now, a team that's not scoring, a team that's getting uh, booed on their home field and they're booing their coach, and this coach seems to have very little clue, kind of like Josh McDaniels, but I would expect the Raiders to just answer the bell big time here this week. Well, I would hope so, T, but outside of the two teams that are playing tonight, and Tampa, that's only given up 27 points this year, the team that has given up the least amount of points in football is the Denver Broncos. So although offensively they're not in sync yet, Russ isn't cooking, they've got a, two really good running backs uh, with Judy and Sutton. You've got good wideouts. Defensively, they have been one of the better teams, if not you know, the best team in the league. So it's a Raider team that has had some struggles offensively, um, seems to be out of sorts at times, and they're going up against a really, really good defense. So uh, we've seen the number creep up a little bit. Um, it's not quite at three yet, but it looks like it's trending that way. Um, but they're playing again against a very, very good defensive team in Denver. You know, you are, like you said, uh, the other side, whoever the Raiders are playing, you're big fans uh, of them. I just got to believe that you're going to get such a huge influx of Raider money in this game. I mean, I've got got to see one-sided money coming this way. Not really this deservedly so, but you just know how the public thinks. They think that they're better than they are, and they've lost these close, narrow games. Now they're finally going to get Denver, a team that just seems you know inept to scoring. Well, I agree with you, but you know, after they lost week one to the Chargers, that was the way game two was bet against uh, the Cardinals. Right. And then after they lost that game, that was the way game three was bet um, against the Titans. Yeah. And that's going to be the way game four is bet as well. Um, but, you know, if Denver does get it, that offense starts rolling, they're very talented. I mean, they've got good skill position players on that side. Um, I'm not worried about them on the defensive side at all. So what, you know, you thought maybe – before the season started, Russ and Denver and that team against the Raiders at home, 
would be a really high-scoring affair might be the exact opposite, and uh, Carlson might arguably be one of the most important Raiders come Sunday. <laughs> right, exactly. Daniel Carlson, my fantasy kicker, by the way, Chuck. I had to make sure I got Daniel Carlson. He's that money. That is a good choice, buddy. He there. happens to be mine as well. There you go. See, great minds think alike there. There it is. Chuck Esposito over at Red Rock getting ready for Monday Night Football tonight. Dallas and the Giants get on over there. Uh, great atmosphere. Bet on the game. Have some fun. Get some food over there or any of the great station casino properties. All right, Chuck, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the handle overall as far on uh, last Sunday and uh, talk about uh, some of the biggest betting handle games that you took yesterday. I think one of the bigger ones, T, was clearly uh, Kansas City and Indy. Um, we were definitely Indy fans. Not sure exactly how Indy won that game, um, but that was a huge game. Uh, the Jets and, and Cincinnati Really good game for the other side of the counter as they uh, as they backed uh, Cincinnati a lot in that game. Uh, just overall, we've seen you know really good crowds, good handle, uh, tremendous atmosphere. Um, the the app really does bring the the sports book to you, and and guests are able to play you know either from the sports book anywhere on property or the the comfort of their home. Um, but those were some of the bigger games that really generated a lot of handle, as well as in the afternoon the uh, the Packers Bucks game, which was a huge handle as well. So the last man standing. Well, I know we're only three weeks into it, but with all the upsets that we've seen here in the first three weeks, Chuck, is <laughs> that field really dwindled down? It, it has been. I won't get the update until after tonight's game. Um, see, you know, because there's people still have both sides of tonight's game. But uh, next time we talk, I'll be able to really fill you in and see where we're at. And uh, we've been seeing about a 50% decrease on a weekly basis. So my guess would be, you know, having teams like the Chiefs lose yesterday outright, having uh, the Bucks lose outright, uh, that you're going to see a lot of teams or a lot of uh, contestants kind of drop off. Of all these surprises uh, that we've seen here, Chuck, you know, Jacksonville off to the hot start. We mentioned the Giants already. The Miami Dolphins playing well. Uh, any any team that uh, you think that uh, you want to keep an eye on here and then you may be actually, you know, uh, lowering their Super Bowl odds? We kind of talked about it a lot, see, the teams that are out there. I mean, the team that's really, to me, looked like the best team in the NFC is the Eagles so far. Um, defensively, they've played well. They're not just running the ball now. Jalen Hurts, you know, really looks good with both A.J. Brown and Smith and Goddard. Um, they're the team that's really kind of captured my attention right now is the way the Eagles are playing. Mm-hmm. No doubt. All right. Uh, for, from the college side there, Chuck, uh, busy weekend. Uh, we saw some upsets there as well, too. Uh, talk to us about what you saw on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, it, it continues to be, you know, upset Saturday to, to some degree, the way we've seen these teams play in college football. Um, really, you know, we were huge Oregon State Beaver fans on, on a Saturday night. A lot of money came in on Southern Cal. Uh, you had Georgia that didn't cover that day. You had Michigan that didn't cover. That really helped early in the day. I think now that you're starting to see a lot more good games, this is a, a tremendous slate. Uh, when you talk about the Arkansas-Alabama game, uh, the NC State-Clemson game, um, the Florida State game, there's just a few that really have jumped off the page to me against Wake that there is some really good games this Saturday in college football. By far the best slate we've seen on the board so far 
through the first month of the season. Definitely, definitely great college football time of the year as uh, we get ready to head into October. And then, of course, we've got Major League Baseball wrapping up the regular season. The postseason, Chuck, in Major League Baseball, I'm really looking forward to this, you know, with the expanded, you know, teams. We've got seven in each uh, league right now. Uh, and now we've got, you know, we got rid of the game 163. We got rid of the, you know, the one game wild card games. You know, now we're getting into series here. And I think I already know your answer and you and I echo it. But you got to love the fact that we're getting like best two out of three in the opening round Major League Baseball playoffs, right? Because everything really is based off series. You know, managers, players, they want to win series during the course of the regular season. You know, never into this, this one game scenario as exciting as that can be. But hey, like we've talked about so many times, the more opportunity to bet on games, the better. And I think uh, we're going to see a great postseason in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you, T. I have been saying for the last few years, I was not a fan of the one-game wild card. I thought it prevented a lot of um, smaller city teams from actually you know, making a move because it was just potentially for one game. I love the fact that it's a three-game series. Granted, they're all played in the same city, but that's fine. I, I just was not a fan of the one game. So love the expanded format. Really looking forward to the baseball postseason as well. All right, get on over to Red Rock or any of the station casino properties. Monday night football tonight or just any time. Last man standing, everything else. They got the kiosk there as well, too. And again, the uh, STN mobile app, so easy to use, Chuck. And then uh, I guess we're going to have to start talking about the Golden Knights and hockey season because we, you know, we look up at the screens yesterday. We we had some action, you know, going on last night, right, with the uh, Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche. It's here already. Everything's going on. Yeah, absolutely, we got you know prices up for their game tonight against the Kings. So um, it's fun that hockey's here. We don't exactly know what we're going to get out of the Knights this year. We know that if they're healthy, they're really talented. There's some questions between the pipes. There's some questions as far as depth goes. Um, but it's going to be interesting, and I'm excited that hockey's here. No doubt. Chuck, appreciate it. As always, my friend, uh, enjoy the games uh, tonight. And are, are you seeing uh, much action either way on the total or either one of these sides? Because I know we've got a very, very low total in this game tonight of around 38 or so. Saw a very low total last night game, and it, and it went under. Uh, quick thoughts on tonight's game. Yeah, the initial number has come down a little bit, both side and total T. Uh, ticket count is about 68% on the Giants, about 58% on the over. Um, but I think we're going to be Cowboy fans when this game kicks off. A uh, very low number, basically a round pick. Best case scenario for our side of the counter would be uh, the Cowboys to win the game outright. All right. Chuck, appreciate it, my friend. And we'll talk to you next week. All right, T. Thanks, buddy. There it is. Chuck Esposito over at Red Rock. A fantastic job as the director of race and sports of all of the Station Casino properties. All right. Appreciate uh, Dale Murphy for joining us today. A great baseball player back in the day with the Atlanta Braves. Dale Murphy. Come on, man. He's got to be in the Hall of Fame. Are you kidding me? 18 years in the big, seven-time All-Star, two-time NL MVP consecutive years, five-time gold glover. Look, I got to be his agent. Four-time silver slugger. All consecutive years he won these these awards. Two-time nationally home run leader. Yeah, Dale consecutive Murphy. Love that guy. Appreciate him for joining us. Chuck Esposito as well. Matt Holt. 
miss any part of the show, go to the website, check it all out at tcmartinshow.com. Uh, the interview page up there, the classic interview page, the current interviews, the featured one on the homepage, all there. Go check it out. And remember, our Friday home is the Westgate of Las Vegas, the world-famous Superbook. Love that. Their interview with Showtime Sean Porter from last Friday is up there as well, too. For Chuck, TC saying so long. Have yourself a good one. We reconvene tomorrow. Oh, you know what tomorrow is, don't you? Yeah? 2 o'clock? Terrible Tuesday.